case, Everson versus Board of Education, the Supreme Court, for the first time, declared there to be a separation of church and state in the First Amendment. The Supreme Court used this 1947 decision to declare in 1962 that prayer and in 1963 that Bible reading were both unconstitutional in public schools. Let us examine for ourselves to see if the premise for the so-called separation of church and state doctrine is founded in fact. This is not meant to be a religious presentation, but rather an American history presentation. Most people believe the pilgrims came to America from England for religious freedom. Actually, for more than 10 years, they had been living in Holland, where they had religious freedom. Why then did they come to America? The Mayflower Compact, which they wrote and signed, indicated they came, quote, having undertaken for the glory of God and advancement of the Christian faith, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. When America, American history is taught in public schools, from elementary school through college, students are no longer taught about the religious beliefs of the founding fathers. In fact, just the opposite is taught. Students are told that the founders were either atheists, agnostics, or deists. These teachings about the founding fathers simply are not true. The first American government document was the Declaration of Independence. Of the 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence, 54 of them were active members of their churches. 27 of them had seminary degrees. They also started 121 Bible societies. Some of the 55 men who wrote the United States Constitution founded the American Bible Society, which is still going today. They are actively involved in giving out Bibles in China, India, Africa, the Middle East, and Latin America. They also have several ministries to the men and women serving in our, our armed forces around the world. If you went to Sunday school when you were a child, you might be interested to know that some of them started the American Sunday School Union in 1790. One of them was Francis Scott Key, who wrote the Star Spangled Banner. Another was Bushrod Washington, who was an original justice on the United States Supreme Court, and John Marshall, who was Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Members of the highest court in our land started Sunday schools in America. In fact, of the 270 founding fathers who wrote our four major founding documents, the Articles of Association, the Declaration of Independence, the Articles of Confederation, and the United States Constitution, of those 270 men, 258 of them were Bible-believing, God-fearing, church-going Christians. This painting was done to show what happened on September 7, 1774. September 7, 1774 was the first day that the very first Congress of the United States met. They began with prayer, and that prayer time lasted for several hours. They also read Psalm 35. John Adams, who later became president, wrote that this morning of prayer and the reading of Psalm 35 changed the direction of Congress and put the nation on a new course. And I'd like to point out just a few men depicted in this uh, painting. There's uh, three men who are praying right here. The gentleman right here in the middle, that's John Jay. We're going to talk about John Jay's just a little bit later. Three men kneeling here, the gentleman on the far left, that's Patrick Henry. There's two men standing here. The gentleman standing in the back, that's John Adams. We just heard about John Adams. And the gentleman kneeling here in front, the tall gentleman, that's George Washington. On a personal note, because I'm from El Monte Police Department, we're in the city of El Monte, 
The gentleman of the three kneeling here, the gentleman in the back, is a man by the name of Thomas McKeon. In the mid-1990s, there was a police officer that worked for the El Monte Police Department who had the exact same last name. And we were talking one day, and I said, uh, hey, Scotty, I said, are you a descendant of Thomas McKeon? And he got kind of this startled look on his face, and he said, well, yes, I am. Why do you ask? And I said, well, I had information about the Founding Fathers. And he said no one had ever asked him about that. So there was a police officer that worked at the El Monte Police Department. Uh, he's now working for the Huntington Beach Police Department. Um, who was a descendant of one of the founders. James Wilson was one of only six men to sign both the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. He was a Constitutional Convention delegate from Pennsylvania, spoke 168 times on the convention floor, which was second only to Governor Morse in the number of times that uh, someone spoke. He was appointed by George Washington to sit on the United States Supreme Court. On the interpretation of the Constitution, James Wilson said, the first and governing maxim in the interpretation of a statute is to discover the meaning of those who made it. Thomas Jefferson served in the Continental Congress. He was governor of Virginia twice, the first secretary of state, vice president under John Adams, and became our third president. He was the primary author of the Declaration of Independence, but contrary to popular belief, was not involved in the writing of either the Constitution or the Bill of Rights, which included the First Amendment. Concerning the interpretation of the Constitution, Jefferson said, on every question of construction, carry ourselves back to the time when the Constitution was adopted. Recollect the spirit manifested in the debates, and instead of trying what meaning may be squeezed out of the text or um, invented against it, conform to the probable one in which it was passed. Ponder that for a moment, if you will. Two of the most influential men in the founding of our country told us that when it came to deciding if something was unconstitutional, we were to look to the quotes and writings of the founders themselves to see what they meant. Let's do just that, shall we? The Declaration of Independence has written in different places the laws of nature and of nature's God. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, appealing to the supreme judge of the world and, and for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. The Constitution, which was ratified in 1787, was written to tell the federal government what it could do. The first 10 amendments to the Constitution known as the Bill of Rights, which was passed in 1789, told the federal government what it could not do. There were several versions of the First Amendment offered before the final, final version was agreed to. The First Amendment states in part, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Today, we might best understand the original context of the First Amendment by saying, Congress shall make no law establishing one denomination as the national denomination. I would now like to share with you a few of the, own, uh, the founders' own quotes. George Washington, our first president, the father of our country, declared, while just government protects all in their religious rights, true religion affords to government its sure support. It is impossible to rightly govern without God and the Bible. In his personal diary, George Washington wrote, let my heart, gracious God, be affected with your glory and majesty, that I may fulfill these weighty duties which you have required of me. I have called upon you to pardon me and forgive me of my sins. 
Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for me. You gave your son to die for me and have given me the assurance of salvation. Benjamin Franklin was considered one of the least religious of the founding fathers, but at age 81 on the floor of the Constitutional Convention, after disputes and quarreling had created bitter and hostile feelings, said, in the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayer in this room for the divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. And have we now forgotten that powerful friend? Or do we imagine we no longer need his assistance? I have lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, and that's from Matthew 10:29. Is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that, except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. That's Psalm 127.1. I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers employing the assistance of heaven and its blessing on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business. Because of his efforts at the Constitutional Convention, James Madison is known as the chief architect of the Constitution. He served eight years in Congress, eight years as Secretary of State, and eight years as our fourth president. James Madison said, we have staked the whole future of American civilization not upon the power of government, far from it. We have staked the whole future, we have staked the future of all of our political institutions upon the capacity of mankind for self-government, upon the capacity of each of us to govern ourselves, to control ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. John Adams signed the Declaration of Independence. He served in the Continental Congress, was foreign minister to France, and along with John Jay and Benjamin Franklin, negotiated the treaty ending the war with England, the Revolutionary War. He was George Washington's vice president and became our second president. John Adams said, we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Please permit me to restate portions of the previous two quotes. James Madison, we have staked the whole future of American civilization upon the capacity of each of us to control ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. And John Adams, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. If I can give you a brief description of what the Founding Fathers hoped for our country and uh, what they founded us upon. They were Christians, or the vast majority of them were Christians. And they felt that if people, the American citizens, knew as Christians that they were going to be answerable to God for their actions while they were here on earth, they would control themselves because they knew that once they died, they were going to be meeting their maker, if you will. As a result of that, if people knew that they needed to control themselves, the government didn't need to pass a lot of laws to control, themselves, to control the people. For example, the length of our original Constitution was a mere 11 pages. It contained only 11 articles, 21 sections, and a total of just 7,700 words. 
By comparison, the European Union, or the EU, attempted to establish a constitution of the European Union last decade. When that failed, a treaty was ratified in its place that was over 300 pages in length and contained, and contained over 67,000 words. This is Abigail Adams. She was the wife of President John Adams. Her own son, John Quincy Adams, who she trained up by teaching him from the Bible, became our sixth president. She was also a prolific writer. When her husband John was running for re-election, Abigail wrote, As usual, my thoughts turn to the scriptures. The Lord is my strength and song and has become my salvation. Psalm 118.14 Cast thy burdens upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. Psalm 55.22 It was the strength of the scriptures that sustained me when John got the news that he had lost the election and that Thomas Jefferson was the new president. John Quincy Adams was the son of John and Abigail Adams. At age 14, he received a congressional appointment to post in the court of Catherine the Great of Russia. Later, he became ambassador to Russia, Britain, and France. He became Secretary of State and our sixth president. At a July 4th speech, John Quincy Adams said, The birthday of the nation is indissolubly linked with the birthday of the Savior and forms a leading event in the progress of the gospel dispensation. The Declaration of Independence first organized the social compact of the foundation of the Redeemer's mission upon earth and laid the cornerstone of human government upon, upon the first precepts of Christianity. You might be interested to know that John Quincy Adams was the very first president to be photographed, and this picture is a copy of that photograph. Samuel Adams signed the Declaration of Independence. He instigated the Boston Tea Party, was a Massachusetts delegate to the Constitutional Convention, and served as Massachusetts Lieutenant Governor and Governor. He was also cousin of John Adams and second cousin to John Quincy Adams. He was called the father of the American Revolution. He formed the Committees of Correspondence, which among other things was to tell the colonists what their rights were. In 1772, Samuel Adams' work, The Rights of the Colonists, was circulated. In it, Adams declared, These may be best understood by reading and carefully studying the institutes of the great lawgiver and head of the Christian church, which are to be found clearly written and promulgated in the New Testament. Okay, you've got John Adams, who's married to Abigail Adams. Their son was John Quincy Adams, and they were first and second cousin to Samuel Adams. There was a 1993 movie that starred Angelica Houston and Raul Julia called Adams Family Values. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what I call Adams Family Values. Robert Winthrop served in the Massachusetts House of Representatives for five years before being elected to Congress. He ultimately became Speaker of the House. He became a United States Senator from Massachusetts and was finally elected Governor. He studied law with Daniel Webster and was a contemporary to John Quincy Adams. Robert Winthrop said, Men, in a word, must necessarily be controlled, either by a power within them or a power without them, either by the Word of God or by the strong arm of man, either by the Bible or the bayonet. Patrick Henry was governor of Virginia twice. Largely through his efforts, the first ten amendments to the Constitution, known as the Bill of Rights, were adopted. He is probably known best for a 1775 speech, which is depicted in this painting, that concluded with these famous words, Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, Almighty God, 
I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. But Patrick Henry also said this. It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religion, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Noah Webster was a soldier in the American Revolution. He served nine terms in the Connecticut General Assembly, three terms in the Massachusetts legislature, and four years as a judge. He was called America's schoolmaster. He wrote spellers, textbooks, history books, and resource books. He wrote America's first English dictionary in 1828. In it, he used Bible verses to explain some of the word definitions. Here's a copy of that 1828 dictionary. When the program is over, please feel free to come up and examine it for yourselves. And you might want to look up words like good, love, saved. Noah Webster said, in my view, the Christian religion is the most important and one of the first things in which all children under a free government ought to be instructed. No truth is more evident to my mind than that the Christian religion must be the basis of any government intended to secure the rights and privileges of a free people. When I speak of the Christian religion as the basis of government, I mean the Christianity taught by Christ and his apostles. Governor Morris was a delegate from Pennsylvania to the Constitutional Convention. He helped write the New York State Constitution and served as a United States Senator from New York. He spoke 173 times more than anyone else on the convention floor. He physically wrote the Constitution. It's his handwriting we see when we look at the document. Governor Morris said, Religion is the only solid basis of good morals. Therefore, education should teach the precepts of religion and the duty of man towards God. John Jay was governor of New York and helped author the New York State Constitution with Governor Morris. He was appointed the very first Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court by George Washington. John Jay said, Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers, and it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians as their rulers. Abraham Lincoln said, It is the duty of nations to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. He also said, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of the government in the next. I think that Abraham Lincoln may have also been a prophet. Francis Scott Key was a lawyer who was well known for his acts of charity and generosity around Washington, D.C. On September 13, 1814, during the War of 1812, he boarded a British ship in an attempt to gain the release of an elderly doctor by the name of William Beans, who had been captured by the British. He was taken captive and held against his will aboard the same ship. Throughout the night, he watched as America's Fort McHenry in Baltimore was being bombed. The sight he saw the following, the following morning, or by the dawn's early light, as he wrote, inspired him to write a four-verse poem entitled The Star-Spangled Banner. Ultimately, the poem was put to music and became our national anthem in 1931. While all of us know the first verse, here are the words to the fourth verse. Oh, thus be it ever when free men shall stand between their loved homes and the war's desolation. Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven rescue land. Praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must, 
when our closet is just. And this be our motto, in God is our trust. And the star-spangled banner in triumph shall wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. The national songs of many countries praise human rulers or call men to battle. But because of the faith of Francis Scott Key, our country has a national anthem that is a hymn of thanksgiving to God. This is the actual star-spangled banner that Francis Scott Key saw. It now hangs on display in the Smithsonian Institution in Washington, D.C. At the Constitutional Convention, the delegates came from states where many of the delegates had written their own state's constitutions. Here are just a few samples of the oaths written in some of those state constitutions. Maryland, Article 35, that no other test or qualification ought to be required than such oath of support and fidelity to this state and a declaration of a belief in the Christian religion. Massachusetts, Chapter 6, Article 1, all persons elected to state office or to the legislature must make and subscribe the following declaration. I, their name, do declare that I believe the Christian religion and have firm persuasion of its truth. Delaware, Article 22. Every person who shall be cho uh, chosen a member of either house or appointed to any office of place or trust shall make and subscribe the following declaration, to wit, I, their name, do profess faith in God the Father and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, and in the Holy Ghost, one God blessed forevermore. And I do acknowledge the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be given by divine inspiration. How about the Judeo-Christian indicators on our national monuments? This is the Washington Monument. Engraved in the metal cap on top of the monument are the words, Praise be to God. Lining the walls of the stairwell are such biblical phrases as, Search the scriptures, Holiness to the Lord, and Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. Inside the Lincoln Memorial, chiseled from his second inaugural address are the words, God, the Bible, Providence, the Almighty, and divine attributes. It then continues. As was said 3,000 years ago, so it still must be said. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Inscribed inside the Jefferson Memorial in Washington, D.C., is this quote from him. And can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are the gift of God? that they are not to be violated but with his wrath? Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. This is the stained glass window in the prayer chapel inside the United States Capitol building. It is a private chapel available only to members of Congress. It depicts a real-life event of George Washington kneeling in prayer at Valley Forge during the American Revolution and includes this phrase, this nation under God, which is right here. And around George Washington is this Bible verse. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. Psalm 16.1. Inside the Capitol Rotunda Dome are several paintings depicting events in American history. This 14-foot by 20-foot painting depicts the, pilgrim, depicts the pilgrims leaving Holland in 1620. I would like to point out two specific details in this painting, the mainsail and the book on the man's lap. On the sail of the Mayflower is the motto of the pilgrims, God with us, which is right here. It's going to be a little hard to see, 
But the Bible on the man's lap is opened and contain the words, the New Testament of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Also in the rotunda is this painting of the baptism of Pocahontas, who is considered the first convert to Christianity from Virginia, after which she changed her name to Rebecca. This is the back of an 1878 $20 bill showing that same event. Above the east entrance of the Supreme Court building uh, are the script, are, excuse me, above the entrance to the Supreme Court building are the sculptures of several lawgivers throughout history. The figure in the center is a sculpture of Moses holding the Ten Commandments, which is right here, and then it's enlarged here. The oak doors separating the courtroom from the central hallway of the Supreme Court building contain a representation of two tablets bearing Roman numerals 1 through 10. And Moses holding the Ten Commandments is sculptured in one of the walls inside the courtroom itself over the justices. In God We Trust appears opposite the President of the Senate. This same phrase is inscribed in large marble letters above the American flag in the backdrop of the Speaker of the House of Representatives. Uh, many years ago, I would occasionally watch uh, the network C-SPAN, and when the House was in chambers, I would watch the activities that were going on, and the cameras always cut the picture off just at the top of the American flag, so you never saw the words, in God we trust. Now, just recently, uh, I occasionally watched it, and sometimes it has the cameras high enough where the shot is where you can see in God we trust, and then sometimes they've got it back down to where you can't see that phrase and, and uh, just see the top of the American flag. This bronze plaque is in the United States Senate building. Even the Liberty Bell is inscribed with a Bible verse, Leviticus 25.10, proclaim liberty throughout the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. My friends, it is clear from their quotes, their writings, the oaths they included in their state constitutions, and even on our national monuments, that the Founding Fathers did not want the so-called separation of church and state we have today. They debated and wrote our Constitution, our Bill of Rights. They, of all people, knew exactly what they were writing and what they wanted our country to be founded upon. They just did not want to have um, in America what they had when they were British uh, subjects, and that was a national church, at that time being the Church of England. In fact, the term separation of church and state is not found in any of our founding documents not in the Declaration of Independence, not in the Constitution, not in the Bill of Rights, or any of our other founding documents, but it is located in a Constitution. Article 52 of the Constitution of the former Soviet Union says, the church, the church in the USSR is separated from the state and the school from the church. I would like to leave you with one final quote from Abraham Lincoln. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom or virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us.